This is the third Sunday in Lent, and I decided I was going to preach on the reading from Exodus, which is the famous story of the burning bush, and on Luke's Gospel, and we'll just leave Paul alone in Corinthians this week. It's a little bit rough even for Lent. Um, The season of Lent has three major themes. Repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives. And today, certainly from the Old Testament reading and from the Gospel, the focus is on repentance. Turning and seeing things in a different way. Moses is keeping the sheep for his father-in-law in Midian. And as he's walking along, he sees a bush that is burning And it is not being consumed by the fire. And a voice comes from the bush. And in the process of what we read in the text, Moses receives his marching orders, so to speak. You know, repentance and vocation are very closely connected with one another. And in turning your life around or looking at things in a different way or making some decisions about proceeding in a better fashion, uh, all have vocational implications. Father Thomas Keating, in his book, The Mystery of Christ, speaks about how all of us are tempted, all of us need to repent and change the direction that we're looking for happiness from what he calls the irrational programs for happiness, security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control and to begin to see how we can uh, understand those things which are a continuous part of life, but when they get out of balance, it causes great difficulty emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And so we don't wish to have that happen, or we want to somehow uh, be able to make things a little bit smoother. Moses says, or it says in the text, I love this, I shall turn aside and see this great sight. And so when he says this, it is not as though he is um, thinking about Lent, because there was no Lent. But he is thinking about turning aside and seeing things in a different way. And he res- it is for him a, 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 a vocational moment. It is a way now that he sees things in depth for the future and understands, at least in part, what he must do. When I was a kid and this, this passage was read, I uh, thought to myself, what does it mean when he says, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. And I thought when I was a little boy, what in the world does I am mean? My friend Ted Dumpke's mother had a housekeeper who'd come, you know, a cleaning lady, and she'd come once a week to clean the house. She was from Los Angeles, and she belonged to a cult. I've never heard of this before or since, called the I Am cult. The I Ammers. And I don't know anything about the cult other than Ted said to me, 
uh, in their official publications and literature, they refuse to use black ink. They only use purple ink. I don't know. I wonder what it was about the purple ink, you know? It's hard to tell. Uh, some manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible uh, translate I am sent you to or I am that I am translated as I will be what I will be. If we as Christian people believe that what Jesus Christ is by nature, we become through adoption and grace at our baptism. Those words can apply to us, particularly when we understand them in vocational terms. Each one of us will be what we will be. And the readings today that I'm going to am preaching about have to do with the decisions that we make around what I will be. How am I going to do that? And what am I going to do in some way to see uh, things from a fresh perspective? And the Lenten season, to some degree, is about seeing our life uh, in fresh perspective. Very important. Now, we don't read about this today, but Moses says after he has this encounter, or as he's talking to God, he said, and who shall I say sent me? He said, you know, I can't, I can't go to Egypt and do this. I have a speech impediment. The people will not understand me. And God said, don't worry about that. I'm going to send Aaron with you and he'll do your talking for you. So don't worry about that. You need now to come. Moses and all of the passages of the liberation in Egypt and the moving through uh, the, the desert and the wandering for 40 years in the desert have many texts all about what the nature of leadership is or ought to be. Moses spends his time turning the people of Israel away from the place of remembered good times to a place where they will focus on the future and receive a new self-definition and a better and fuller understanding of who they are and what God wants them to do. He is a great leader and has much imagination. You know, this is important for us because we live in a culture that values safety over adventure. And so what goes around comes around. God says, don't you worry about that. You now have understood your vocation in depth and I will be with you all the time. And as I mentioned last week, what we see in the Hebrew Bible and the affirmations from the lessons we read during this season, God is not a cutter and a runner. God is present to you always. So we learn that part of the process of repentance involves acknowledging our true self. We are not God, but our true self is God. And how does God come to us? Through the presence of his spirit, which is God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. So we move today to Luke's gospel. 
where Jesus, this is one of the, of the readings that reminds me, I say this over and over again, my teacher O.C. Edwards in seminary said over and over again, it's not as important what the Bible says as what the Bible means. And this is a reading about having a little knowledge about being a student of the scriptures. Luke wrote his gospel between 85 and 90 AD, or 80 and 85 AD. And when he wrote his gospel, the temple in Jerusalem had already been destroyed in 70 AD. The Roman imperial system had come into Jerusalem and destroyed the city and wrecked the temple. And by Luke's day, Jerusalem was virtually empty. And so the gospel writers, particularly Luke and Matthew, knew about the destruction of the temple. And the sayings of Jesus that they apply in this particular case, when the people who heard this read to them for the first time understood what had happened in their own history. So the reason I mention this is that we need to remind ourselves that Jesus, we could, if we can use this terminology, Jesus was the head of the peace party. And many people in his, in the wor his world believe that the only way we're going to get rid of the Roman imperial system is through a violent revolution. And what he was saying to them is, if you persist and you do not repent of this view, you will reap the benefits. And they reap the benefits. Pilate came up from, Caes came from Caesarea, which was the capital of Judea, not Jerusalem. And he brought his army with him. And so the people who read Luke's gospel understood that they were there slaughtering people, just like Pilate had done in the precincts of the temple. They wrecked the place. Buildings fell on people and killed them. They knew all about this, so it was prescient that the Savior had reminded them that this was entirely the, the outcome of what it is that they did, rather than listen to him. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we will celebrate on Palm Sunday, is an affirmation of the peaceful coming of the, of the Messiah, who is going to be both a priestly Messiah and a kingly Messiah, who is going to bring God's reign on earth to complete the return from exile that occurred with the Babylonian captivity. So this is very important, what he said. And he talked to people uh, and warned them against this. Now, this uh, reading today ends with him telling us the parable of the fig tree. And this is an example why being a student of the scriptures is important. Uh, all of this material, Jesus' sayings, the narratives, everything else came in fragments. 
the authors of the gospel put them together editorially. And in this section, if you want to amaze your friends, what you call it is this pericope. Is the creation of Luke, who puts this material together and tries to make it coherent. So that's why we have a parable slapped up right against uh, Jesus' warning about the destruction and people's need to take responsibility for things. But it's very important because it's included here for the purpose of reminding us that all of us continue to have a chance with God. We always have a chance with God. We're like the fig tree. The owner of the vineyard comes in and says, this fig tree has been here for three years and has borne no fruit. I'm sick to death of this. Cut the tree down. And the gardener Jesus says, let me give it another chance. I'll put some manure around it. My grandmother always was, oh, I wish they wouldn't use that word. I don't know. <laughs> Terrible sort of thing. It's like when Harry Truman was president and uh, some of his advisors got, went to Mrs. Truman. And he said, I wish you could convince your husband to quit using the word manure all the time. And she said, you don't know how long it's taken me to get him to use the word manure. <laughs> all of us continue to have a chance to bear fruit. All of us can continue to look at our life in a new way, to turn aside and see this great sight. The great sight for you and me is, is that I, we will be what we will be. And that we know that we are necessary for God's plan for the cosmos. Each one of us in big and small ways. So I guess the main takeaway for this week is to give thanks to God for your role. Give thanks to God for the fact that it is never too late. Give thanks to God for the possibility of having vocational moments all the time. And being led in the direction that you're supposed to go. Amen. Amen.